0: This week's episode of the Lone Star Outdoors show proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge and Fast Steel 2.0. Back when uh, I first got into serious waterfowling in college, Kent Cartridge made the most affordable premium load on the market. They are still doing the exact same thing with Fast Steel 2.0. It's the evolution of the OG of premium waterfowl loads and Fast Steel, Uh, but if you want a hard-hitting waterfowl load that doesn't leave you chasing cripples, but doesn't hurt the pocketbook at the same time, check out Kent's Fast Steel 2.0, available in all of your favorite shot sizes. It's widely available at Cabela's Bass Pro Shields, you name it, and uh, you can find their entire dealer list at KentCartridge.com. Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith, welcome everybody into SCI Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. This is episode 596, and there is no place I'd rather be than sitting right here with you guys and gals talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. We've got a fantastic show lined up for you today, and I'm going to tell you all about it. Um, hell, let's not waste any time. Just get right down to it. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Probably got that Black Rifle coffee in there. I know I do. Uh, But yeah, pour yourself another cup because we are ready to rock and roll. And to get things going today, we're going to talk broadheads. Hmm. Always a controversial topic when you consider the fixed blade versus mechanical crowds. And there's no... Right or wrong answer, but there have been tests that might sway you in one direction more so than in the other. Will Brantley, long-time field and stream hunting editor, will be here. Um, he's done the tests on lots of different products as far as shooting broadheads into them. And, and we've interviewed people that have done tests into two-by-fours into cinder blocks, into 55-gallon drums, uh, you name it. But nobody has actually done a test that I know of into actual animal parts. And Will has an interesting way that he was able to get his hands on the test material. (laughs) Uh, But when you're friends with a butcher, I guess that makes it a lot easier. So he's actually shot dozens upon dozens of broadheads into animal carcasses and he'll give us the reviews what works best what are the pros and cons to each so all things broadheads coming at you here momentarily with will brantley then my good friend omar hagazi owner of tactical skeleton firearms will be here Uh, He just went to Africa with me in July, actually, and we're going to talk about a very – well, first we'll recap our Africa trip. This was his first safari. I think this will be a great discussion for anyone considering their first safari because it certainly got in Omar's blood. He can't wait to get back despite something else getting into his blood in the form of a parasite that he picked up on the Dark Continent. I don't want to scare anybody. He's fine, Uh, but it did require a trip to the emergency room. So we'll get into his unfortunate experience, and then we'll talk some AR-10s. As Tactical Skeleton is one of uh, North Texas' premier firearm manufacturers, they're actually going to build me an AR-10. What caliber? We'll get into that with Omar, as well as some of the specs, on the rifle builds that uh, Tactical Skeleton offers and why the 6.5 Creedmoor has become such a popular option on the AR-10 platform. So Creed Nation, you're going to like that one. Um, That's what we're going to do today. Going to be a good show. Guarantee you that. Let's do a quick giveaway. How about a brand spanking new reactor wireless trail camera from my friends over at Stealth Cam. That's right. This is, well, it's my new favorite. It's only been out for a couple months, but the reactor takes the pictures both day and night. Phenomenal photo quality. And the uh, functionality, how you have to set this thing up, so easy compared to the wireless cameras of yesterday. Uh, Just scan the QR code. Boom. There it is. Pick your plan that you want. Start watching your pictures roll into your cell phone on the Stealth Cam Command app. It's that easy. So, uh, just email the word stealth cam. Maybe that's two words, right? Uh, but stealth cam to lone star show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's reactor giveaway. We'll be right back with Will Brantley of Field and Stream We're talking broadheads on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. It's
1: about
0: time. It's about time. It's about time. Cable here, and if you're listening to this show, you probably like ARs. And I'm not talking about antler restrictions. I'm talking about, you know, ARs, modern sporting rifles. And Timber Creek Outdoors has the best way I've found to take your AR to the next level. It's the Enforcer Kit. It features high-end performance parts and jaw-dropping looks. It's perfect for sportsmen, competitors, firearms, enthusiasts, and people who trust their lives to their equipment, like you and I. When combined together, these parts improve usability, as well as ergonomics, big word there, and dependability of any small framed modern sporting rifle. Timber Creek products are manufactured by Americans in the USA, God bless America, and they implement uncompromising quality control and offer a lifetime warranty. They've got a bunch of different color options, something for everybody. I've got a 100 green enforcer kit on my 224 Valkyrie, Absolutely love it. You will too. Check out the Enforcer Kit at TimberCreekOutdoorsInc.com.
2: Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, Online Sales Manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by Hunters
0: for Hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery
2: skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com Driving on
0: I-10 for Three damn days now When will I see your face again
2: But the show goes
0: Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here as we are about to talk mechanicals versus fixed blades. The uh, age-old debate, which broadhead style is more lethal? Or is it all about shot placement? I mean, some people will just say, hey, if you make the right shot, you won't lose the animal. Now, I've never lost an animal with a mechanical because I've never shot an animal with a mechanical, but I was in New Mexico last week and saw firsthand how a mechanical failed on a well-shot bull elk. But um, I haven't seen a fixed blade do that. Not saying that it won't. Lots to discuss here, and we will do that with someone who is more well-versed, having just wrapped up a two-year study on this topic. Will Brantley, hunting editor of Field & Stream, is here. And we will welcome Will to the show momentarily first. However, this segment brought to you by the Waypoint line from NUMA Outdoors Anti-Abrasion Protection. It's the ideal mid-weight all-season line. Even uh, windbreak tested for up to 50 mile-per-hour winds. It's also water-resistant. You can find the waypoint line at numaoutdoors.com and get twenty percent off your entire order of numa apparel when you use my promo code Lone Star Twenty. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now. Field and Streams, Will Brantley. Thanks for being here. Yes, good to see you again, man. Yeah, it's been a couple of years, but uh, always a pleasure. And certainly, um, certain, certainly, still reading your articles every time I see one pop up and. Uh, a recent one really um, caught my eye, the uh, the age-old debate on mechanicals versus fixed blades. And we'll get into that momentarily, but first, what are you up to? I know Kentucky, it seems like you guys are always shooting bucks that are in velvet, so y'all season <laughs> starts a lot earlier than uh, certainly us down here in the South.
2: Yeah, we uh, we opened the first Saturday in, in September, and uh, actually for the past three years, my wife and I have started a little uh outfitting business here in Kentucky where we guide bow hunters that that first week everybody wants to wants to come up here and uh or or down here depending on where you're coming from and and try to kill a velvet buck and we've done a lot of September bow hunting and you know kind of I don't want to say we've gotten dialed into it but I, I guess we've, we've gotten okay at it and and uh you know enough so that we we felt comfortable you know guiding a few a few hunters and so yeah, we wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago and um, had a uh, had, had a good season again. So we've, we the last couple of years we've had we've had really good September. So I, I enjoy the September hunting, um, but we're a one buck state, and so I I enjoy hunting in late October and early November more. And so uh, so yeah, I kind of like to kind of like to share what we have in September and, and uh, you know sort of sort of save those those best weeks of the season for myself. Uh huh.
0: I like that mentality. So let's talk about broadheads, and uh, this, like I said, comes from your recent piece. Uh, fixed blade broadheads are better than mechanicals, so the cat's out of the bag already, <laughs> off the top. But um, after and, all and these then,
2: years, that's all it took to solve that debate, you yeah. know. So.
0: <laughs> and here's the proof. So let's dissect this. Um, how many dollars worth of broadheads have you destroyed over the past couple of years in, in coming up with the basis for this article?
2: Yeah, I, I crunched the numbers for that in the piece. Um, and uh, without having the piece right here in front of me, I think I wanting to say it was like four thousand yeah, dollars worth $4, of, worth so. of
0: <laughs> But I don't I don't know so, how many different yeah. broadheads you shot, but I'm assuming it was dozens upon dozens. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's dozens. It's and it's been over the course. Um so I, I've been doing a uh kind of a, a comprehensive broadhead test for field and stream the last two years. Of course I've I've handled their, um, or, or, or been a part of their bow and crossbow testing for, I guess, eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, last spring, uh, or, or two springs ago, the the first COVID spring, I guess, I, I decided to to lump broadheads in there into the test, and have come to um, have come to really enjoy it. It's a lot of work, um, but you know, the, after that first year and then last year too, I really started noticing a lot of. You know a lot of performance trends with different styles ahead to, to the degree that you can almost you know open up a, broad, a pack of broadheads look at it be like yeah i don't know about that one I, I think this is gonna fail right here or whatever and i mean i'm i'm a journalist i'm no you know i'm no engineer but uh uh-huh. but I'm a journalist and, and really hardcore bow hunter and so you know try to put together parameters for a test i guess that um that, that, that i would be able to to write about and make sense to people. Um, and and also that made sense to me as a bow hunter you know what are the things that uh, you know that a bow hunter needs in a broadhead to to do its job and so that's kind of what we've come up with and we you know we weigh all of these broadheads out of the package you know measure them for consistency we, we weigh them on a powder scale and you know that that in itself can be pretty eye-opening i mean depending on the brand um, you know you get a package of broadheads that says hundred grains on it you assume they match your 100 grain field points well some of them you know out of the same package might be you know three or four grains heavier on one end than on the other Mm -hmm. end and I mean rarely does that make any difference at all at the differences at the distances people are shooting at whitetails but you know if your broadheads are expensive and if you're kind of particular about your equipment like most bow hunters are um you're paying that much money you, you want to going wait, you know and so so there's that um have you noticed
0: uh, this and this just came to my mind have you noticed any difference out of the package in things manufactured in china versus american made products
2: no i can't say that um okay. you know i um i i will say it seems like um and 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 I mean, this may be an answer to that. It seems like some of the some of the like bigger mass produced broadheads, uh, not not all of them, but but some of them, I, I see inconsistencies. But some of them, you know, um, they, they, I guess the companies got big for a reason because they were pretty good, you know. And they mm-hmm. and they still, you know, like the the quality control still seems to be pretty good. So I, I can't say that from you know from one brand to the other, like where they're you know where they're made or anything like that. It's just. Um, It really is. Like we, we weigh them all, we, we put them through all the same paces and I can't remember like say having tested dozens and dozens of them. I can't remember off the top of my head, which ones, you know, seem to be more consistent, you know, versus the others, you know, brand name wise. And I think that's the beauty of, of this test is we're not, um, I've got buddies who work for different broadhead companies and stuff. And, but I, I'm not, I'm not beholden to anybody for this test, you know, like we, I send out an invitation uh to as many broadhead companies as I can find. Um and and everybody's welcome to participate. They've just got to send the uh you know the minimum number of samples and, and hit the deadline and and we'll try them. Um mm-hmm. same as the others and we're gonna report the results however, you know, however they line out, you know. So um you know and at the end of it like uh <laughs> you know, the only allegiance I have is like the, the broadheads that do the best. Those are the ones I'm going to hunt with myself. And so like two years ago, it just happened to be the Wasp Havalon HV. Well, I've spent a lot of my own money out of my pocket buying those broadheads. Um, you know, they sent me some and, and, and I, I hunted with those samples and stuff, but I, you know, I, I just really liked them. They've done really well on game. They, they mirrored on game animals, exactly what I found in the test. Hey, these work pretty well. So I'm going to keep buying them. And, uh, you know, that's the closest thing to, I guess, an allegiance that we've, that we've gotten out of it. So.
0: So you mentioned consistency. There there were four things that I picked up on the article that you were testing for consistency, accuracy, sharpness, and durability. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, what were the parameters for the test? Were you, I don't know, were you shooting through steel drums? Were you shooting through carcasses or no, concrete? No. Well, like- so
2: um, for for the accuracy portion of it, um, we do both a, a crossbow and a compound bow um, comparison, and we I will match it up field points. So you know, for 125 grain heads, we do 125 grain field points, um, and get the bow dialed in there. We tested it, uh, I believe, 25 yards was the was the test distance for uh, for a compound bow, uh, crossbows I think 40 yards. And again, like all this stuff is 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 there in the you know in the results of the test. Um, and you know we just compare the point of impact with a three shot group with our you know with our field points and do they do they hit where they're supposed to or not? Um, the you know the sharpness test. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that you can measure sharpness. You know, right down to uh, you know, I guess like electron microscopes and stuff. You know, examining edges and stuff. I, I did it with a rubber band test. Um, it's it's kind of the way that um, like when I was a kid, you know, resharpening broadheads. That's kind of what my dad always told me. You know, if you take a take a rubber band, get it just taut between your thumb and index finger. You know, how much pressure does it take with the broadhead blade to nick it? And then, of course, you can you can tell a lot just by checking the edge and uh, you know mm. seeing if it'll shave hair off your hand and things like that. And you know what I, I I guess like what I generally find is that it, with that in particular like most of your fixed blades tend to be a little sharper than than a lot of your mechanicals. Um, it's not universally true, but most of them anymore more or at least acceptably sharp mm. from the from the factory. And you'll find you'll find a few that. Man, you're afraid to touch, uh, and those are. Well, like you to mentioned me.
0: Havilon, and I've never shot their broadheads. I I shoot Crimson Talon; they sponsor the show, um, but I have definitely cut my finger on Havilon knives.
2: Plenty. Oh times. yeah, and those blades are the same way. They are yeah. they are super sharp. And then like this year, we had um, uh, some of the Iron Wheel broadheads. You know, they're a single bevel design, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and then we had had uh, a classic Thunderhead 125. And, uh, you know, all all of those this year, I just remember like, man, (laughs) those things are sharp and, uh, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about them. You know, if you're, if you're shooting a deer, you don't have to worry about them rolling a blood vessel out of the way rather than cutting it. And I think that's what that rubber band test kind of signifies is, you know, blood vessels. If you skin many animals, you know, that they're, they're, they're rubbery, they stretch and they're, they're pretty damn tough. Um, and, you know, if you've got something dull, it, it will kind of tend to r- just sort of roll them out of the way, right? You know, it, you don't know exactly what all is going on as arrows going through a critter, but, um, but it would make sense to me. And, and, and sharp broadheads, uh, I think, are very much like a sharp knife. You know, if you've ever cut yourself on a Havilon or some other really sharp knife one of the first things you notice is like, man, it is bleeding a lot. And I don't feel a lot of pain. Like right. it is, it's scary to look at. Uh, there's a lot of blood coming out and like, it really doesn't start hurting for a few days where if you cut yourself with a dull knife, uh, you feel it. Um, but the blood is generally not as profuse. And I just think it's because of the, the complete severing of those little, blood, little bitty blood vessels. And I think that's exactly what you're looking for in a broadhead. So, so there's all that. And then the, you know, the, the finger fire, just
0: started hurting just thinking about the last time I did that, I was in New Mexico and shot this mule deer at like 10,000 feet and it was cold and got the Havalon in there and, you know, made a slip up. And like you said, it didn't hurt right away. Lots of blood, but like the yeah. next day I was like throbbing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah you know, it's going to hurt the next day. Yeah. So it's, it's just one of those things like you get it wrapped up and finish your chores before you, uh, <laughs> before yeah. you, with it. So, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, the, I guess kind of the crux of the test is the is the rib cage test. I've got a a buddy, um, Charlie Hardy lives just down the road and he's got a he's got a uh, well he processes deer in the fall and then he he does a lot of livestock the rest of the year. And, um, you know, does a lot of beef and beef ribs are not that great to eat and so a lot of people don't want them. And so I have Charlie just set aside his beef ribs from a, you know, from a year's worth of processing cattle. He puts them in the freezer for me and um, man, they are a pretty good representation. Uh, you know, like it's a pretty formidable target. Like I, I've seen broadhead tests where people are shooting through concrete blocks and tires and steel and all that. And like, it, it's cool. Um, but it's not the same as, as flesh and bone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they are, you know, steel belts and tire that no animal has, you know, and I mean, I, you know, yeah, if a, if a broadhead will punch through that, it's impressive, but, you know, I want to know what it will do against heavy bone and, and muscle, and so, you know, cattle ribs are, I don't know how much thicker they are than a whitetail's ribs, they, they, they've got to be three or four times as, as thick, you know, right. definitely, uh, definitely more on par with, with elk ribs or, or moose ribs or something like that, and, um, and so, uh it's it's just kind of red, redneck ingenuity at its finest I, I put it on a you know on a tractor bucket and you know hang them from a hook and just suspend them in front of a target and uh stand back 25 yards and shoot a whole package of broadheads through there uh through the ribs and you know I, I uh, like with mechanicals I take note of both the entry and and exit wounds if there if there are exit wounds there usually are but those ribs do stop more mechanicals than they do fixed blades, um, uh-huh. and I will, you know, you can see. Then, um, did your blades open on impact? Were they still there when the broadhead went through? What kind of cutting diameter did you have on both sides? And so, you know, a mechanical that opens on impact, maintains its integrity, punches through the rib cage, and sticks pretty deep into the broadhead target. The other side, like that, that's a broadhead that's that's doing its job. Um, what I found over a few years of doing this is that you get way more failures in the, you know, in the mechanical broadhead department than you do mm-hmm. the, the fixed broadhead department. So.
0: One of the guys in camp shot a perfectly broadside shot. When he shot the elk, he was like, dude, I made the perfect shot. I saw where the arrow hit. And then immediately he saw the arrow like bend and start angling out. And he was mm-hmm. like, it hit a rib and just didn't, it didn't get the penetration and it was a mechanical to be fair, we'd never found the, the broadhead itself. It's still somewhere in the animal, but the arrow broke off, you know, only three or four inches of penetration. And he was, he was like, I can't believe what I just saw. It's like, I literally made the perfect shot. I didn't hit him back. I didn't hit him high. I sh- I tucked it yeah. right behind that shoulder and crap. I mean, he, we never found that elk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we had a hunter here uh, in camp a few weeks ago on, on our, on our hunt here in Kentucky and, he shot a nice buck that was, uh, it was like 18 yards, it was broadside. It was, it was eaten at a feeder. <laughs> uh-huh. And, um, we don't he, judge in Texas, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, and, and the guy's, uh, uh, he's, he's a hell of a bow hunter and, um, has hunted with us before. And he, um, he hit that deer, I, I perfect, you know, right behind the, right behind the crease, um, you know, just centered up the rib cage and, you know, he was shooting a a big mechanical and, and had a, had a huge entrance wound. Um, but the, you know, the arrow did not break the skin on the other side. And this wasn't, this wasn't at an angle that, you know, that, that hit leg bone. It didn't, you know, it didn't hit shoulder blade. It it didn't hit a, you know, it didn't hit a joint. It was, it was straight white tail rib at 18 yards with a 70 pound bow and did not get a pass through. Now, again, the deer died, wasn't too hard to recover, but, um, you know, after shooting a lot of deer myself, like I, I like a pass through, um, you know, people like to shoot a, a mechanical broadhead for the cutting diameter that it, you know, that it, that it has. And, and, you know, we've, we've seen the commercials and, um, you it's know, like the- throwing an ax through an animal. Yeah, yeah, the you know the, the crazy wounds and, and and they will do that. You know, they will make those crazy big entry wounds especially um when everything is just right. Um the liability there is, you know, the bigger those blades get, the farther away from the ferrule they get when they're moving just the, just inherently the structure of that broadhead is not going to be as strong as a, as a tighter, you know, even a smaller mechanical design, but certainly a smaller fixed blade design. And that is what you're going to lose some, uh, you're going to lose some kinetic energy, opening those blades and some momentum, because those blades are going to slow the arrow down and you might get a pass through, you might not. And, And that's not to say, like I say, you know, Mechanical broadheads work just fine. I've, I've shot a lot of deer with mechanical broadheads. I've shot a bunch of turkeys with them. They do work. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, like, people should take them off their arrows and quit using them. But I am saying comparing apples to apples, like, the, the things that are important for bow hunters, you know, kind of start to finish, my testing has shown anyway that, uh, you know, that that fixed blades consistently do better. Okay.
0: Well, now that we've ticked off every mechanical shooter listening to the show, Uh, Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and see which type of Broadhead actually flies better. Which one's more accurate? And then also, bang for your buck longevity. uh, Is one more capable of being reused than the other? Uh, All that coming at you next when we continue with Will Brantley. That segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. There isn't another group out there that does more to protect your rights more to educate the non-hunting public and of course emphasize the importance of sustainable use hunting and conservation. For more info, check us out at safariclub.org. Everybody Cable here for Go Wild. If you're like me, (laughs) trust me, these clowns have been censoring me for a long time, but if you're like me and you can't seem to make heads nor tails of what the hell's going on on traditional social media platforms like, you know, the one that Zuckerberg owns, well, let me tell you about Go Wild. It's a place where like-minded folks are sharing ideas, hunting tips, Fishing tips, recipes, all that great outdoor content that you and I both love, you can find it on Go Wild. And here's an even better thing that they're doing right now. They've got an online store. And if you sign up, that's right, it's, it's a free account. That's, that's all you have to do is just go to uh, download Go Wild. You sign up, create your account there. You'll get a free $10 gift card to spend on Go Wild's outdoor gear store. Brands like Garmin, Vortex, Irish Setter Boots, Treason, North Mountain Gear, and many, many others. They're all right there in the Go Wild store, and you can use that $10 credit on anything you want. It's that easy. Sign up at DownloadGoWild.com. Take advantage of your $10 reward gift card, and, uh, and, you, and you build points, too. Um, that's another thing. It's a, a rewards program, so the more you spend, the more points you get. You can find it all at download gowild.com and I'll see you over there. In the market for a compact track loader then check out the Bobcat Advantage where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today. Hey, folks. Hey, guys. Cable here. And if there's one service, one company that I rely on heavily when planning my next backcountry hunt, it's Onyx Hunt. They have, for a long time, set the gold standard when it comes to giving me the information I need to basically predict where I'm going to find animals. And if you can hone in on where the animals are going to be, you're going to be more successful. Onyx uses their own topo maps, plus, I mean, geographical features like watering holes or a meadow system that works its way down a mountainside where you know those elk are going to be feeding and muleys in the morning and evenings. Yeah, it'll show you that as well. Uh, plus, of course, private property boundaries. Where does the National Forest end? Where does Rancher Joe's property start? Yeah, it's going to show you that as well. So, whether you're planning a backcountry hunt or just picking ambush points to hang your tree stands on your whitetail property, onyx shows it all to you they've got different layers you can apply to a, a specific grid or a piece of property it's really rad and here's the cool thing you'll save 20 percent when you order your onyx subscription by using my promo code lonestar20 when you check out at onxmaps.com lift your eyes and see through the sorrow muster all the strength you can borrow Live for tomorrow, you down and down to your Know your fate Late great Brandon Jenkins, survival. Be the Revival. Love that tune. Uh, Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for dropping by today as we are talking broadheads, mechanicals versus fixed blades with Field & Stream hunting editor Will Brantley. I uh, recently finished up a two-year study comparing the pros and cons of each we'll get back into that momentarily but first this segment brought to you by vortex optics and the razor hd lht 4.5 to 22 by 50 first focal plane rifle scope it's a 30 millimeter tube this thing is well it's ridiculous to be frank i mean the magnification is where this thing really shines Whether it's low-light conditions, hunting whitetails at the deer lease, or dialing up that long-range shot in the backcountry using Vortex's patented zero-stop technology. Yeah, the Razor LHT has you covered. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. All right, well, Will, thanks for sticking around. Let's, Let's dive back into the broadhead conversation. And I don't want to make it sound like we're just beating up mechanical broadheads. That's not at all the goal here. We're just comparing your... In-depth two-year analysis of which one performs better. That being said, let's be fair. You mentioned in the article that you've actually never lost an animal uh, that you've shot with a mechanical.
2: I don't think that I have. Um, now, I have, I have always hunted with fixed, and, and and I have lost plenty of animals with fixed blades. But I've I've always aired more as a as a fixed blade hunter, um, and so you know you shoot more animals with whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know are going to catch up with you you're going to you know you're going to lose you know you're going to lose more but um but no I don't I don't think I have lost an animal with a with a mechanical um but your buddy
0: Charles Hart who you mentioned you get the ribs from who does deer processing every fall he has pulled out more mechanicals out of rifle rifle shot deer
2: he was kind of the one who who inspired me to to go down the road of of doing this story. You know, we were um, a couple of years ago, and I, I think I was picking up a deer that I'd had him process or something, and um, you know, and we got to talking about the best ways to do a, to do a broadhead test, and and uh, and I mentioned the cattle ribs, and he said, "Man, a broadhead test will be great." He said, "You know, for years we we threw them away." He said, "But I've started saving them." And he showed me this, this, you know, this little box that he keeps there in the shop. And he said the the numbers of broadhead that we pull out of deer, because most of his deer, like anywhere else, they, they come in during gun season. You know, mm-hmm. there's a few guys around that bring him deer during bow season, but most of them come in during gun season. He said, you know, the numbers of deer that, that he gets in that are, that are killed with a gun and that he, you know, he finds a broadhead in them that, you know, from where the deer survived to hit with a bow uh you know it's it's crazy it's it's multiple examples every season and you know he says over and again they're they're mechanical heads and and not only that um you know he he said when he does find a fixed head it's usually the result of a of a really bad shot you know mm-hmm. of a hit gone wrong you know it's buried up in a hip or something like that but so a lot of times he finds these mechanical broadheads just just under the you know just under the muscle there on the on the shoulder you know um sitting right where the hunter probably meant to put him. It just, he didn't, he didn't get the pasture that, uh, you know, that, that he yeah. needed to, to kill that animal. So, um, so yeah, I mean, Charlie, I don't, you know, I, I think he deer hunts some, he's, I don't, I don't think he bow hunts. Um, but he's just a guy who's, who's skinning deer every single day all fall. And he's like, yep, this is what I'm seeing. Uh, the mechanical broadheads are stuck in them. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, and that mirrors what, uh, this elk outfitter, uh, Jared, Hunted with this year what he told me um he's like don't worry about that you know someone will shoot that elk during rifle season and we'll find the broadhead now mine was a fixed blade but it was due to a high shot Mm -hmm. but he said dude, we pull up broadheads out of these elk all the time it's like it's like 50 50 whether if it's a mature bull he's probably been shot at yeah and if the hunter made a bad shot we'll find the broadhead yeah um usually mechanicals now Based off of a previous experience with an elk where I shot it in the front shoulder this past year, I, um, got a heavier arrow, went to a 125 grain broadhead instead of a hundred, uh, um, a, um, stiffer spine and started shooting a 70 pound bow. Mm-hmm. And I shot a Sable in Africa with that setup in July and blew right through the front shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't shoot the elk, you know, in the front shoulder this year, but I, it was Mm -hmm. with a fixed blade. And I was just amazed at that, that penetration. Um, Yeah. And I would think if you could blow through a a Sable 400 and 450 pound animal elk, 600, 650 pound, I think you could go through the front shoulder of an elk with it,
2: you know, uh, know, and I I think a lot of people um, I'm not saying take that shot, by the way, that's just, that's an accidental deal. It's kind of interesting because I I brought this point up in the, you know, in in the piece that I wrote, and that, you know, people think about the shoulder of an elk or a deer or whatever it is, and they think of the whole thing as being this impenetrable wall, you know, it's just straight up bone. You get ahead of that crease and it's all bone. If you take an elk apart, or a deer, or a cow for that matter, that's not the way that those bones are shaped and structured in there. So, you know, you look at the shoulder, um, see my hands here kind of on the screen. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to make a V pointed, you know, like with the point of the V is, is going toward the animal's neck. Well, the upper part of it is kind of flat like that. That's, that's the scapula. That's the shoulder bone. Then right here is, is the point of the animal's shoulder. And then the front leg is going to come down and that's the way the shoulder is, is actually shaped. And within that V is a little pocket and it's, it's nothing but muscle. Um, any broadhead can penetrate that. And, but it's, you know, on an, on an elk, it's maybe that big around and on a deer, it's like that big around, but that is, that is directly in line with the heart and the frontal portion of the lungs. Really doesn't matter what broadhead you use. It doesn't matter for that matter if it's a field point. If you hit one right there, the blood trail is gonna be pretty profuse and that deer is not gonna go far and same mm-hmm. goes for that elk or whatever. The, you know, the, the problem is um, that bone ahead of it, especially on something the size of an elk, is so heavy that it, it gets tough to penetrate with, with anything. And so I think a lot, of, a lot of bow hunters, really through, you know, through a lot of years of, um, you know, bow hunting education and things like that, they have, they've been taught to aim a little bit too far back, you know, actually a little bit behind the heart and, and toward the rear portion of the lungs kind of behind that shoulder crease, and that, you know, that's hitting a critter right in the middle of the ribs, and 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 it'll definitely do the trick, but it is, it is not, you're not going to get the blood trail with that hit that you will that hit slightly farther forward, and, uh, you know, I've come to, I've come to adjust my, you know, my point of aim on critters a little bit to, to try to hit them right there, and I think, I think if you're aiming at deer like that, like I've heard it called the vital V. uh, I think if you're aiming at deer in that area, you know, a fixed blade especially gives you a little more leeway, a little more margin of error, particularly on a whitetail. You know, like I shoot a, I shoot a 60 pound bow myself, but my arrows, my finished arrows weigh about 480 grains, you know, and I'm Mm -hmm. shooting a you know, yeah. I read, there was a
0: picture you had in the article where you'd blown right through this deer's shoulder.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't. I don't I don't know that I've ever lost a deer with that setup um, that it hit too far forward and get in, and didn't get enough penetration. It, it almost always will break those bones up in the mm. front. And you know, I would rather hit a deer up there than hit one a little farther back. You know, I think, you know, where a where a mechanical does come into its own is with a hit that's a little bit farther back through that rib cage because that area is easier to penetrate. And then those bigger blades, that wider cutting diameter, well, you're going to, you're going to hit more stuff with those wider blades and, and it gives you, you know, it gives you something of an advantage. So, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if, if, if you're prone to gut shooting deer, liver shooting deer, maybe, you know, maybe the mechanical is the better <laughs> bet, but I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think if people will take the time to study an animal's anatomy and, and really, you know, like when they talk about a shoulder shot, really look at what they're actually talking about, you know, to, to really hit the, the bones of the shoulder that are going to stop an arrow, you're hitting that animal way too far forward anyway. Right. Um, and that's, you know, that's, uh, that's an important distinction to make when you're talking about broadhead styles, I think.
0: Which is, is weird because, you know, I rifle hunt as much as I bow hunt, I'm probably like the world's most okayest bow hunter. <laughs> um, but I love it. And there's nothing I enjoy more than chasing elk with a, with a bow. Uh, that being said, when I'm rifle hunting, it doesn't, doesn't matter to the animal I'm putting yeah. it on the front shoulder yep. and it can be right in the middle or it can be in that V it doesn't, it doesn't make a bit of difference because the animal's right. going down right there. Yep. And um, I've and people are like, Oh, you're wasting me. Yeah. Well, I'm also not tracking it and not risking, you know, losing mm. it because he's dropping or yep. if he isn't, he's running on two back legs and he's going like 30 yards. Yeah. Yeah, face planning absolutely. the whole
2: way you hit that area and they don't it did not like you say it doesn't really matter what you hit it with they're not going to go far
0: yeah um so there were three i want to say like fatal flaws of the um the mechanicals and i don't know if i need to pull the article i didn't write them down um but there were three things that you said this is where fixed blades perform better uh, one of them was cost um because mm-hmm. a lot of times you can reuse your fixed blades whereas mechanicals generally are toasted um but uh but yeah i'll let you talk a little bit about those things if you uh i don't know if you have them handy there but yeah yeah i'm I'm
2: pulling it up just to kind of refresh myself on the uh on the cost and so it's um and 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 like a lot of fixed blades are expensive too i mean like oh sure so but it's it's more of a it's, it's it's there's cost and then there's value you know Uh um and so like you're in texas i'm in kentucky we we can kill a lot of deer in the states where we live uh here in kentucky and then like texas is my other favorite place to go hunt because not only can you shoot a bunch of deer but you can shoot pigs and whatever else comes through so um i i like i like to shoot um I, i like to shoot a lot of critters with a bow and you know yeah you can You can rebuild a mechanical broadhead, um, but most of the time, whether you kill an animal or miss and bury it in the dirt, whatever happens, like when you take that shot in the field with a mechanical broadhead, aside from the ferrule itself, the broadhead's pretty much thrashed. Like Mm -hmm. the the blades are are probably going to, even just a very slight bend of the blades is going to affect how they open and close. So there's that. Um, If they have you know, O-rings or retainers, those things are probably going to break. You got to replace them. Some of them have a little bitty set screws. Um, maybe you don't have to replace them, but they're probably going to be covered in dirt and grit and everything else. It's going to be hard to get a, get a hex wrench in there. So even, even if you can completely rebuild a mechanical broadhead, which, you know, most of them you can get the replacement parts and stuff to, to do that. Um, is it really as good as it was like right out of the package like do you really trust that if the deer of a lifetime comes through there with you know mm-hmm. potentially something bent because with the mechanical broadhead like everything has to be working perfectly for the mechanical design you know to work as advertised and so you consider that some of these mechanical broadheads now are sold in what packs of two I'm, I'm trying to remember here from my uh Packs from my story two. Man. yeah yeah like there's some that are a pack of two and they're like you Is know that even a pack something like that. <laughs> um and, and so you know you figure that and you figure that they're one-time use and then not only that uh i remember one-time use when you shoot them into a block target you know yeah. um they they open up you know it probably you're not hurting the blades a whole lot but you are tearing up o-rings retainers you know whatever they use to to retain the blades you're getting foam and stuff all down in them and I mean I I can't speak for other bow hunters but I know for me the years that I've hunted with mechanical broadheads, that's kept me from practicing with them as much as I wanted to and like you know people would be shocked, you know just because it's mechanical doesn't it, it, one thing i've learned from this test like that absolutely does not mean that it automatically flies like a field point like some of them really do but that's but some how they're them, advertised that's what i've always heard and people yeah, tell me well hey like, you're gonna get better flight and this
0: was flight. one of the other points that you mentioned here so now we're at point two of three um flight,
2: yeah. Yeah, flight so like, pattern not as good as advertised with some of these no with some of, i mean you gotta remember like a field point is yeah, you know, that's what it is it's a field point it is a, you know, it's the, it's the diameter of the arrow shaft. It, it, it has virtually no drag. Even a compact mechanical is a lot bigger than a field point. It's still got little bits of blade sticking out. It's got holes and vents and all kinds of stuff. And I, you know, again, like I'm not a physicist. I don't understand the aerodynamics of all that, but I do know that shooting them through, through compound bows and especially through crossbows you're going to see some flight differences, um, mm-hmm. particularly at a, at a distance. And it's not as simple as saying, well, mechanicals always fly better. Some mechanicals do fly better than some fixed blades, but some fixed blades fly better. Like those, those iron wheels, the, the single bevels we had, this, they shot as well as anything, um, out of a crossbow, out of a compound bow. It, it didn't matter. They just flew really well. They're well-made. And so. My buddy you know, shot I guess through
0: like, both shoulders of a zebra this past, uh, in in July when we were over there it was like it was like 18 yards but he got a full pass through both both shoulders and And that's uh, a big but he's a big big dude he's six four and was drawing 80 pounds but still it was impressive to see that penetration
2: yeah for sure so you know I guess what I'm getting at like um it doesn't matter what broadhead you're shooting you need to practice with it and if you happen to be shooting you know a, a mechanical that's that's really expensive uh you know, and it's, and it's in a lot of ways, a one-time use, like, a lot of people don't want to shoot them, you know, they just put them in their quiver, and they assume they're good to go, and so there's that, there's, again, like, the issue of, you know, if you, if you shoot a few does, if you shoot, you know, a few pigs, or whatever, um, you either got to go through and tediously rebuild those things, which cost something, or replace them, which, which costs a lot, and so, you know, you look at the, the price tag of that compared to something like, you know, again, like I I keep going back to that iron wheel as an example because it did really well in the test this year. I don't, I'm I'm not hunting with those myself this year. They just, they're just the one that I kind of, kind of keep going to, you know, they, I don't remember what they are. They're like $35 a piece, something like that. Um, but they've got a lifetime warranty, you know, you can pull them out of the dirt, wash them off and resharpen them. They're good to go. And it, it, it really only takes shooting about three deer compared to shooting three deer with mechanicals, where those broadheads have paid paid for themselves, you know. Mm. So as long as you don't lose them, and so you know, I guess that's that's what I'm getting at there. Like, yeah, the the sticker price is higher on some fixed blades uh, than than on some mechanicals, but long term, you get you know high, you get a lot more use out of them. There's just there's no way around. I
0: shot an eland with those 125 um, crimson talon outlaw fixed blades and i hit him back and it's documented on instagram and it was a it was a restless night because we just backed out and uh went back the next morning but ended up hitting the liver i got a complete pass through we found the arrow that night um and the thing went 60 yards and it was like a crime scene and i mean so yes i was very worried and we had it on video and we're like "Eh, maybe it's maybe it's not as bad as we initially thought but uh pick that arrow up put it wipe the dirt off a little blood and put it back in my quiver. Yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, no worse for the wear.
2: Yeah. I've got a, I've got a, well, my wife actually hunts with them now there. <laughs> I bought a pack of G5 Montex probably 12 years ago. Uh-huh. You know? And I, and I've bought a bunch of Montex since now I've shot a lot of critters with them. Um, but my wife shoots a light poundage bow. And, um, you know, and I, and that's also a broadhead that I found flies really well out of, of crossbows uh, most of the time and they're easy to sharpen but that original pack i lost one of them but i still have two of the originals and they're kind of like an old man's pocket knife at this point we have resharpened those things so much that like you can tell you know the hilts are starting to get a little bit smaller and i hadn't weighed in that I, pro- I probably shaved 15 grains off of them over the years but uh they still fly great we we still kill critters with them and i, I can't tell you how many times we've we've shot through something washed them off reused them you know and uh uh-huh. i i like that in a broadhead i really do so
0: well so the last point of the three was and you kind of already went over it with the cattle rib test but just to rehit on it uh the mechanical broadheads bend and break uh sometimes mm-hmm. upon impact so we already discussed that that's what happened to my friend who shot the elk and we never found it you know when he made a, what he said was a perfect shot and then he saw kind of the arrow just kind of deflect out of the rib cage mm-hmm. so Uh, I guess we don't really need to go over that one again, but, um, people can check out the article on, I guess, field and streams website. Yeah. Field and stream or just search will, uh, Brantley broadheads. It's the first thing that pops up. So I guess in conclusion here, people are going to be sending you a lot of hate mail, all the, uh, mechanical (laughs) guys out there that swear by them, but, uh, it is what it is. You did the research. These are your findings, your opinions. And it's something that I certainly, uh, tend to align with so it's fascinating stuff to say the least and and I think the thing that was the the part of the test that I really liked the most was that you're shooting through these these uh, beef ribs and so actual animals instead of like you said tires or concrete blocks or steel drums or uh, two by fours or whatever it is that people like to um, do their own test with I think this is more in line with what actually will happen when you hit bone and flesh like you said
2: yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, I'm not, uh, I, I think above all my biggest takeaway is like, if you're shooting a broadhead that's working for you, mm-hmm. that they, you know, shoots well out of your bow and, and you're hitting deer and you're getting good blood trails and you're finding critters and like, you've got all the confidence in the world with it. Uh, <laughs> don't change. Um, right. because I did this test. It's like at the end of the day, it is, it is still, you know, it's, it's, it's all about shot placement. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just, you know, any broad head design is going to work just fine with good shot placement. Um, and, and a lot of making good shot placement is confidence, you know, it's, it's the experience and it's what you've got going on in your head at that moment of truth. And, um, you know, so I, I, like I say, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to, you know, to, to give people second thoughts on the, on the gear that they're using if, if they already like it. Um, but, you know, if you're thinking about changing broadheads, thinking about trying something new, uh, I, I do think it's a good test. Now I do think there's some good information there. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I think there's some stuff there that, that can work for you if, uh, you know, if you care to spend the time on the, on the range and, and shooting the critters to, you know, to see. Right on. Where can folks find you? Well, they can find my work on, uh, on the Field and Stream website, um, on Realtree.com. I do a, do a ton of work for Realtree these days. I've been working for Realtree off and on for years. Um, do a lot of writing for Ducks Unlimited, uh, got some stuff coming out in Peterson's Hunting. So, you know, just, uh, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the kind of the classic online publications. I'm not a big social media guy, um. I don't have an Instagram. I steadfastly refuse. (laughs) So, uh, I I don't know so far I've, I've managed through life without it. So, um, those those would be the main places. So
0: awesome. Well, Will, I appreciate it, man. I hope that uh, you find success in Kentucky and the white tail woods. Are you coming to Texas this fall?
2: Oh yeah. 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 We, we, we've actually, we've got a a lease there around Stephenville. So, uh, Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be down there. My, um, my wife and, and my little boy and I, we, uh, we we love going down there. We we went there a couple of times last year, and he he likes to sit in the stand and shoot pigs and a couple of pretty good bass ponds down there. Yeah, y'all y'all got it going on in Texas. There's no doubt about that. So we think so. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, cool. Well, hey, well I appreciate the time, man. Good luck this season, and I look forward to uh, our next visit, whenever that is.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on.
0: So there you have it. The age
2: old broadhead debate:
0: mechanical versus fixed blade. Put to bed. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, like uh, Will said, if you're having success with whatever it is that you're shooting, don't switch. Uh, confidence is is the biggest thing, the biggest factor when it comes to bow hunting. For me, anyway. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. When you do arrow that big buck this fall, you know where to take it. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my taxidermy needs for over a decade whether that's a whitetail, an African safari, uh, a replica. Actually, they're working on a a giant snook that my wife caught in Florida. Um, So they do fish replicas too. Whatever it is, they got you covered. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time. Two locations, one in San Antonio, one in Marion, just outside of New Braunfels. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Coming up next, my good friend and custom gunmaker Omar Hagazi of uh, Tactical Skeleton joins us live in studio.
2: When I said goodbye, she simply don't go. I should have never left Mexico. Spawn
0: is right around the corner your reels have been re-spooled and the tackle box is ready to roll but the question is can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend call david boone at third coast diesels he'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today our night vision and thermal imaging technology has been helping me light up the night for over a decade uh currently got two incredible units the helium 2.0 thermal Monocular, like you can detect things out in a field over a thousand yards it's insanity plus pairing that with a thermion xp50 thermal rifle scope dude it's like poor pigs to be honest with you coyotes as well it's uh the technology alone has come so far in the last few years, and the price has gone down, so the working man can't afford it. The Thermion has internal recording. It has a diverse color palette. You want to do red hot, white hot, black hot, which is my favorite. You know, there's other ones as well. It's got too many to even count off the top of my head. It is the creme de la creme when it comes to thermal optics. It's the Thermion XP50. You can find it at pulsarNV.com.
2: When there's blood on the streets of Baltimore Kids are getting ready for a long war. Maybe I was born in the wrong skin But those sheep are rolling in the mud again Like, whoa!
0: Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms Sheep, the name of that one, from Mount Joy. It's funny because I think Mount Joy wrote that from a very uh, leftist perspective, but I apply it to what I see in society every day, sheep doing exactly what their masters are telling them, being good little compliant citizens. It's funny. Uh, and here's the thing. It's not really funny. It's sad. But once the government takes those freedoms from us, they ain't never giving them back. to you that. Anyway, this segment of the show brought to you by Big and Jay Whitetail Attractants. I put some out at a new property that I hadn't had access to hunt in like three years. Put some out the other day within 12 hours. Four different bucks, two of them mature, right there at the Big and J. (laughs) It's the BB Squared. Um, Bucks love it. Check it out, bigandj.com. All right, let's bring on our next guest. He's here in studio with me. Not a sheep, by the way. Is a custom gun maker specializing in AR-10 platforms. Also my buddy that uh, recently hunted South Africa with me. It is my pleasure to welcome Tactical skeleton owner Omar Hagazi to the show. What's going on? <laughs> you can go ahead and take that sip of water. I, I caught you at a mid drink there. Me up. Yeah. Mid sip. Um, so last time we were hanging out, well, it was half a world away. We were in Africa. Literally. Yeah. 16 hour flight. <laughs> well, 16 and then nine and then oh, two. Yeah. It's a it's a full 24 hours of. Uh, the travel. longest one was 16 hours. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, well, one thing, though, I, I want to mention is how cool it was to have not only you there, but your buddy, Ali. He joined us on the safari, and he came down from Egypt, which is, I guess, y'all are childhood friends. That's where you're from originally?
1: Yeah, that's where I'm from originally. That's uh, where I kind of spent a good portion of my life there. So Ali mm-hmm. uh, was one of my really close friends that also happens to be into Hunting and the shooting sports and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um. So right when I told him I'm planning on going to uh, an African safari, it was a no-brainer for him. He he yeah. made the decision in two minutes,
0: pretty much. It, it's <laughs> awesome, too, because it just shows how hunting is truly a, a global pastime that unites people from every corner of this beautiful earth. And uh, so for for him to come, and and for me to like hear about Egyptian hunting culture, which he didn't want to go on the record and talk about because it's kind of like It's
1: kind of a no-no there. Not a no-no, but uh, it's not really a common sport. Yeah. Uh, So authorities, they just don't see it uh, with the same viewpoint that we have here. Uh,
0: Well, he said that the duck hunting culture was like, you could actually do that legally, but it's like only one day a week, but there's no limit on how many ducks you can shoot and you can bait. So it'd be like nothing to stack up 50 ducks, but you can only do it one day a week
1: yeah that's pretty much how it goes so. like a group of friends will get together and uh share on a pond mm-hmm. uh or a, like a little lake and they would stock it with bait like you said mm. for months before i mean before that yeah um and then they would just go and there's there's no limit yeah uh, they can shoot as many as they want and that's kind of a sad thing because you know you gotta limits are put in for for a good reason you have to uh protect
0: the species and uh just well, no, I, I see both sides though, because if you're only allowed to do it one day a week, okay, and then the number of hunters in Egypt is very minuscule. Very low. So you're not, I don't think you're depleting the resource. You know, I'd have to see how many guys are actually doing it. But for what, the way that Ali made it sound, not very many people can even get guns in Egypt. So it's a very hard thing to get a uh, gun legal
1: in Egypt, unfortunately. It's a very uh, liberal uh, system, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, so getting a gun is, is a really difficult task because you have to apply for a license and then, uh, your license, your application gets signed off off, uh, signed off on from multiple, uh, authorities like the local police, the federal government, uh, multiple, like multiple, it has multiple checkpoints. Like what Biden wants to do here. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) what he wants to do. Yeah. And then you technically have to know, uh, people, uh, in the police and and just have contacts to to have. Is there your, a lot of bribery going on? I I mean I think so honestly. Unfortunately yeah. that that's just how it goes is they don't want you to have guns and mm. if you really want to have a gun legally you got to know the right people that would sign off on your application. Yeah. So the result of that is that there's very little, uh, a very little number of hunters in Egypt yeah. that own guns legally.
0: And he said that also they hunt uh, Crocs and Ibex, but those are kind of like the don't ask, don't tell things like, you know, so.
1: Yeah, because duck hunting, uh, you can get a license for a shotgun uh, to go duck hunting. That's actually one of the reasons that you can check uh, when you're applying for a, for a gun license. Uh-huh. But uh, uh, it's very rare do they approve licenses for bolt action rifles. Um mm. uh, And I just don't see that you need a bolt-action rifle for any kind of hunting in Egypt. Uh, But that being said, uh, Egypt is still uh, very full with Ibex, Nubian Mm Ibex, and Nile Crocs. They actually get huge uh, in the Lake Nostradam, which is one of the biggest man-made lakes in the world. Um, It's it's. I don't want to go swimming in that lake. No, you do not want to go swimming in that lake. All there is
0: is Nile Crocs. And,
1: <laughs> no, thanks, man. Yeah, you're, you're talking about 15-foot-plus
0: Crocs. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah, I'm not interested in that experience. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so it was great having both of you guys in camp and just to um, to hear about hunting in, a, in another uh, another, another place like mm-hmm. where, yeah, it's kind of taboo. Um, so, but, yeah, great having Ollie. What was your favorite part? of your first safari because i'm i'm understanding there might be a second one the the bug might have bitten you but yeah like, <laughs> the, the, the bug did bite me man quite literally no right. pun intended <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah it's just uh i've been watching safari like safari content and following different safari uh, uh, places on instagram and all that stuff for quite a number of years so the anticipation and the build-up was pretty intense Mm -hmm. so uh right when I pulled the trigger on that first animal man the rush was insane the it was it was like nothing I felt before first animal I shot was a kudu Uh, I remember on that first day actually I was the first one to draw blood on that trip yeah (laughs) so got my kudu walked up to it and it's just something about these African antelope man it's they're so beautiful Mm -hmm. Uh, just the symmetry of the horns the the size uh the shapes the, the spiral horns are just,
0: they're, they're just so beautiful. And for, the, for, for my money, the kudu is, it's the one species that every time I go to Africa, I want to hunt a kudu. Like, above all else. It reminds me of our elk, you know, especially when you're hunting them in the rut. They've got cows with them. Um, they don't bugle. But it's basically the same size animal living in the same rough and rugged terrain. Exactly, um, which is why I just I'm obsessed with them. Yeah, you can call them the African elk. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're, um, they're very beautiful animals for sure. So that so obviously that one stuck out. What um, what are you looking for? Well, actually, what animals did you shoot? You shot a kudu, and let's just talk about this from someone that's looking like you just did planning your first safari. Uh, it's not as expensive as people think. Yes. You're going to spend money Plane tickets going to cost you 1500 to $2,000, somewhere in that range. We got them cheaper this time because of COVID, yep. uh, but that'll balance back out. Uh, but overall, like how many animals did you shoot and were you surprised at how affordable it was?
1: Yeah, honestly, uh, I, I was over, uh, budgeting for the trip just in case, uh, you know, Right. I wanted to shoot more animals, but yeah, it didn't end up being as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, I shot seven animals. Uh, I definitely did not plan on shooting seven animals. Uh, I was thinking maybe I'll get five, but I budgeted accordingly. Uh-huh. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Um, some people are really intimidated by the fact that uh, an African safari would be out of their budget. Honestly, it really isn't. Um, if you choose the right animals and do your uh, ticket buying in a good way, you can still stay in a very good budget.
0: Yeah, well, one one guy that went with me two years ago, uh, it was his retirement present to himself, and it, and it's a, a once in a lifetime thing for him. He'll never go again. And he budgeted ten thousand dollars, and he shot six animals and had a hell of a time. And that was with tips, flights, everything. You know, so it just kind of depends. You know, when impala is four hundred dollars. Um, yep, Bless buck is four fifty.
1: Right, wow. yeah. beautiful animal, still so big body, big horns. So yeah, you can you can definitely get a safari done under ten grand all in all, yeah. uh, turnkey. So that's not a problem
0: at all. So yeah. you took seven animals. What um, what did you not get that you want to shoot on your next trip? What would be number one on your list? Sable man, yeah, sable.
1: <laughs> gotta have the sable. They call them the prince of the plains for a reason. Oh yeah, they are awesome. Beautiful animals, nice black coat, huh? Nice hook horns. Yeah, uh, and I don't know if you were out there during the rodeo of when I shot mine with my bow. Man, I w- we just got back from the morning hunt, and I was coming out of my, literally, my bedroom, and I was walking out to, the, uh, to lunch, and I look over, and there's a small pond in front of the, the lodge. Yeah. And across from that pond, I just hear uh, a dog barking, one of the small dogs, uh, the Jack Russells. Yeah. And the next thing I see is a sable, and the sable turned around and was trying to fight the, fight the dog. <laughs> And I was like, what the hell is going on there? Literally about 150, 200 yards away. I was like, this dog just started running and chasing a, a sable for no reason. And then literally within 20 seconds, I see that thing just flop on its side. I was like, oh, okay, I know what happened. I just put one and one together and figured it was cable.
0: Yeah. Well, that was and the sure second arrow. Out. You know, we put the dog on that, that sable we stuck that thing for like crawling on our hands and knees belly wow. crawling for like 2 hours. He was bedded down with some cows and Carl was like, "All right, I want you to stand up and draw your bow cuz he's not he wasn't getting up and we'd been laying there for an hour at this point." He's mm-hmm. like, "When he when he when you stand up, he'll stand up and he'll stop." And he's 40 yards away. Well, the, the thing stood up and immediately ran towards us and then he stopped and so I, you know, I shot him fatal shot we were watching him carl's like we can end this very quickly if we just put the dog on him or we can wait here for a couple more hours for him to expire i was like there's no reason to do that but i said but i don't want to lose the animal so is there any risk associated with putting flash the dog on the blood trail he's like none whatsoever because the sable will turn and fight the dog he will not run
1: i know that's what i heard that's they're one of the uh the only antelopes that will turn around and fight a hunting dog yeah
0: well, he did run because he ended up three ridges over, but at the end of the day, he's going to turn around and fight. Yeah. But he ran when he saw us trying to get close enough to put another arrow in him. Uh-huh. Uh, so I don't know how many times in John X Safari's history on a 30,000-acre property it's played out right in front of the lodge like that. I would imagine not very many times. I, I don't think so. <laughs> <But then laughs> I was, I was really surprised. Yeah. That, uh, it just took you all back to the lodge yeah. pretty much. It was crazy. <laughs> um so sable would be next on your list obviously we had a great hunt and everything was going swimmingly until you got home and you started to feel like crap what what did you think that maybe you had covid or like you picked up something like what was going on in your head when you started to feel bad
1: man a lot of things were going in my head because i just didn't know what was wrong with me uh i got really tired and then uh on my right thigh there. Up on my right thigh um, It started to kind of like You know swell mm-hmm. um, And uh, it looked It, it kind of seemed that there is a, a cyst if you, if you may mm-hmm. uh, Just building up Just like a kind of a little Ridge there and it's very red uh, So I wasn't sure what was going on But then again about A couple inches away from that There was like a big ball under the skin So uh, That that thing was very close to where I've had hernia surgery before. Mm -hmm. So I thought I might have just, uh, broke, like broke my hernia or, or, uh, broke the little mesh that holds it together. And that's what's going on right now. Just to have a bad hernia surgery, but, um, it got really bad and I started having a fever. So I went to the ER and they were just scrambling, trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Uh, they did a CT scan. They did blood work, uh, you work and they just think they just came back to me and said we think you got bit by something and that little ball under the skin is actually a lymph node that's inflamed trying to fight what's going on very right next to it oh wow uh, but thankfully the the when they did the CT scan they said the there, there might be a cyst building up from the bite but it's not that bad that they don't need to uh lasso it which is pretty much just cutting it open with a with a blade. Oh, I man. really was not hoping for that to be the case. So honestly, so
0: they told you that you had African tick bite fever.
1: They told me that I got bit by something and it was infected. That's why it got really, uh, swollen and, yeah. and got the lymph node to be that enlarged. Um, so they gave me intravenous, um, uh, IVs, IVs. Yeah. Antibiotics. Antibiotics on the spot and then they gave me a prescription for an antibiotic and I just went back home and was hoping it would go away. They did tell me to monitor moderate for the next forty eight hours and if it gets any worse I would have to come back. Okay. But uh, thank God, yeah, it just started to go down right after I took these antibiotics and did some research and it turns out it's actually what they call an African tick bite. Mm-hmm. The crazy thing about it is that this tick is tiny. The little you, pepper ticks, you don't even like yeah. you said,
0: you can hardly see it with, uh, with your naked eye. They have big ticks and then they have the little ones. And those little ones, dude, I've gotten uh, I've, I've gotten bit by those too, and they stay infected for a lot longer than what I would say. Like when you get bit by a tick in Texas, you find it after you've been filling up feeders or whatever, you pull it off, and it stays red for a day or two and it itches. Mm-hmm. These like last for a week. This lasted me almost
1: 10 days, man, to almost 10 days, and it was really badly inflamed. Mm -hmm. So they're definitely not not a joke. And the crazy part about it is that I didn't feel uh, getting bit when I was there. I didn't feel anything at all. Uh, I got back the first day, and I was fine. It only started to show up, I think, um, uh, after four days since
0: I got back. So You're the third person that I've talked to this summer that's come back with that. So I don't know if it was worse this year. Because I've gotten bit by ticks every time I've gone over there. I've never had that issue, knock on wood. Uh, but, yeah, that's a, you got bit by the African bug figurative, figuratively and literally. Like yep. You wanna, you're want you ready to go back despite picking up a little tick bite fever? I got the literal fever. <laughs> so, like, when you talk about, like, Lyme disease, are there any long-term, like, health implications from what you picked up? Did anyone say anything about that, or is it? like it's out of your system now and and you're back to normal.
1: Uh they said I mean it's very rarely does uh have any long-term effects but uh yeah, just like any other infection if it gets into the bloodstream and it goes into yeah. the wrong places, it can get really bad. Yeah. So, I mean, 90% of the time you can get it under control with antibiotics and you're just good as new after a right. couple of weeks. Mhm.
0: Yeah. So not like Lyme disease cuz that no, stays no. with people for sometimes the rest of your life. Um okay. Right on. Let's do this. Uh, I'm glad that you recovered from that, by the way. Thanks, um, man. And thanks for, for sharing your misfortune with us. And yep. I don't know what... I don't think people realize you do so much spot and stalking and a lot of times crawling and you're, you know, it's not a jump out of the truck and shoot stuff experience in Africa.
1: Yeah, there's no way. I mean, they actually don't want you to shoot anything out of the truck or next to the truck because the animals there, they're very... Um, uh, at ease with the vehicles so mm. you can be driving around you'll see all the animals only they start running when you get out of the truck and get on foot right so, <laughs> so they don't
0: want you to shoot anything out of the truck so you don't you don't ruin that for them so so we're we're making it sound like you're going to come back with some awful tick-borne illness but you're the only one that i know personally from my trips that's come back with that but you are I mean, you are putting yourself in that position to get bit by ticks. So I, I can't say that I've gone over there and not get, gotten bit. The P.H. is where those little uh, things over their shoes, though, their socks, those little tick guard things. Yeah. yeah you see all the guys there wearing. <laughs> <laughs> you should have got one of them for sure. Yeah. Well, let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about Tactical Skeleton, your company. Um, so you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? For sure. Good deal. That segment brought to you by the Mossberg Patriot from to 50 to 375 Ruger. They've got it all and everything in between. So whether you're hunting K-Buffalo or prairie dogs, check out the Patriot lineup. They are reliably rugged, American-made bolt-action rifles. It's the Patriot. You can find it at Mossberg.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. They're
2: okay. Texas is the place I want to be, and I don't care if I ever go to Cause we got and-
0: Did you know Lone Star Ed Credit has been helping people finance their own slice of paradise for over a hundred years? Whether you're looking for a place to go hunting, fishing, maybe you fancy yourself as a rancher, and you want to run cattle. They've got you covered there as well. Or, hey, the world's getting crazier by the minute. Maybe you just want to get the hell out of the big city, whether that's on the weekends or for good. Lone Star at Credit as you covered. Like I said, they've been at it for over 100 years. They can make that dream a reality when it comes to you acquiring that rural property that you've always wanted. You can find them at LoneStar There's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwaith, Texas at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season, fishing supplies. They've got foods like anchor tea, grass-fed beef, Dublin sodas, gourmet sauces, and a whole lot more. Also, Ace Hardware. From wall to wall, they have it all. Check it out, the Mills County General Store right there in Goldwaite, Texas. But today
2: she met me at the door. Said I would have to choose If I hit that fishing hole today She'd be packing all her things And she'd be gone by noon
0: That's a little Brad Paisley out on Visser Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by I Mossberg Can't Firearms. Cablesmith here with you. Still got my buddy Omar Hargazi of Tactical Black Skeleton. Here in studio, we'll get back into that conversation momentarily. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by the Pulsar Helion 2.0 Thermal Monocular. If you don't want to blow deer out trying to sneak into your stand this fall, hey, check out the Helion. It is an invaluable tool. So many times you're walking in in the dark and some doe starts snort-wheezing at you, telling every deer in the county of your existence. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's not a good thing. Check out the helium 2.0. It'll give up the dough before she gives you up. And uh, you can find it at PulsarNV.com. With that being said, uh, Omar, thanks for sticking around, man. Let's talk about tactical skeleton. When you first told me you wanted to uh, to jump on the the African Safari with John X, um, you mentioned, and I, I didn't know who, anything about you, but you mentioned you build custom guns. And... You you are I mean you went to college I don't think you went to college to learn how to build guns so how did that how did that come about
1: not at all man not at all so I went to Tech Texas Tech uh, between oh, great
0: game this past weekend got the yeah that, the Longhorns hung seventy on them oh, man it was it was bad <laughs> I was watching it until and I'm not a halftime. Longhorn fan I generally would cheer for Tech to beat I do usually cheer for anyone to beat a And Texas which is why I might buy a a, a razorback jersey because they they've beaten them both so far this year <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> meanwhile my yeah. baylor bears are back in the top 25 baylor yeah
1: yeah it was uh, it was a hard game to watch for sure i'm a diehard tech fan so mm. it was tough it was tough <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway oh, well. yep so i went to school at tech uh get yeah, that mechanical engineering mm-hmm. back at the back of the day um me and a couple of my buddies in school we started uh the tech gun club uh, which is pretty oh, nice. much just a group of guys. We go out shooting, hunting, uh, playing events and stuff like that. So that's where it all got started. Uh, as a hobbyist, we would, we would go get parts and build our own ARs and stuff. So that where it grew, is, that's kind of where it grew from. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I graduated, uh, got into working in the oil field as a field engineer, um, started doing the same thing on the side as, as a hobby, so that's kind of where it stemmed from. And then um, after about a year and a half or two into it from graduating, uh, I started doing a good amount of business on the website that I decided to quit my job. Oh, and nice. just to go full on uh, gun company, uh, got the FFL, uh, type seven FFL with an SOT. So we can get all the building done. Uh under my brand name. So started Tactical Skeleton then. Uh Uh, And that's where it grew from. And here we are six years later. Uh, I'm happy to say that 70% of our businesses return customers. So we love to take care of our people. Uh, Love to give them a good product, high quality product, lifetime warranty. So we're one of the few companies that does a lifetime warranty on their firearms. Mm -hmm. So So what do you
0: guys specialize in?
1: So we really specialize in the AR tens, uh, so DPMS style or based on the DPMS design, um, both in
0: 308 and 65 Creedmoor. And your your like number one package would include your your most popular one would include a barrel for both the 308 and 65.
1: Yes, yeah, that's our most popular uh, product. Mm-hmm. We call it the AR ten system or the dual AR- caliber AR ten system. And it's pretty much a 24-inch 6.5 Creedmoor upper receiver, complete upper receiver, a 20-inch 308 straight fluid upper receiver as well, or straight fluid can be one of the options that we can do, um, and then our billet lower receiver complete as well. So you get the two uppers, the lower, um, the Vortex Optics mounted on their uh, the mount, Picatinny mount, uh, Harris bipod, 6 to 9 inches in length. Uh, two magazines, charging handle, and your BCG.
0: Okay, awesome. So versatility there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, get best of both worlds in one package. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what I would definitely say that's our most popular product.
0: Or like, so someone comes to you and they're like, hey, um, would like for you to build me a custom gun. Is that generally someone that wants a 6.5 Creedmoor?
1: A lot of our customers do ask for 6.5 Creedmoor. It's definitely my top-selling caliber. Mm -hmm. Um, It got really popular in the past couple of years. And then what made it even more popular is that if you have a three oh eight ar AR-10, you can just get a 6.5 Creedmoor upper and then just swap up the uppers and use the same uh, BCG and charging handle. So Mm. it was an alternative caliber for your
0: AR-10 platform. So you took two guns to Africa with you. Correct. And, and and it's not breaking news I make fun of the 653 more all the time. <laughs> I have one, I like it. I shoot hogs and coyotes with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of just a poking the bear type thing. I think the 65 is a great caliber. Did you shoot your kudu with that? Uh I didn't shoot my
1: kudu with it. Ollie, my friend shot his kudu okay. with it actually. Um, so
0: that's what where I say that's pushing the the envelope on the size of game that I would be comfortable taking with the six five, but he smoked that thing.
1: Yeah, and there's video footage of it. I'll I'll send it to you if you want to post it or, or yeah. show your fans. Um, fans? I don't have <laughs> fans. They're just <laughs>
0: listeners and followers. There's, this is uh, just Deezan. Just Deezan fans. Yeah. Come on. Um, okay, so so yeah, so he dropped that kudu with the with the yep with the
1: six five Creedmoor. It was a 143 grain uh, bullet. Uh, we clocked it in at 550 yards at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, first shot, smoked it, lung shot, kind of walked about 10 yards, hit it another shot, also lung shot, and it dropped right there.
0: Yeah, it's an awesome video. I will post that for sure.
1: Yeah, it was, it was definitely sh- pushing the envelope on what the 6.5 Creedmoor can do, but it did the job.
0: It, it shows you, you know, um, in, in all the 6.5 Creed Nation, as I call them, will say, hey, it's all about shot placement. Exactly, and that's and that's true. But uh, I usually say, well, yeah, but if I make a marginal shot, then I'll have a three hundred win Mag to break bones. So <laughs> <laughs> we had that too. We had that too. Yeah, um, you took a gun over there that because you guys specialize in AR ten platforms. Your gun looked like uh, it looked like an AR ten, but it was really a bolt gun because you can't take semi autos. To Africa. That's so we actually correct. had to get like make sure that the appearance wasn't going to be a problem, even though it was a bolt gun. Um we had to make sure with our with the travel agent that hey this isn't going to be a big screw up
1: when we get over there. Exactly. And honestly thank you for uh getting me with our travel agent there that she made everything just a breeze in, in terms of the paperwork and the process. Um I was talking to her early enough that all my questions were answered and I got it figured out for the most part. Uh, and I went from there and built that bolt action six, five mm-hmm. actually on, uh, one of our lowers. Um, uh, so it was a 24 inch six, five Creedmoor bolt action AR 10. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> if you look at it from a distance, it just looks like any AR 10, but it was actually a bolt action.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. Do you, do you build a lot of those?
1: Uh, v- very little, very little, but they're definitely getting a little bit more popular. Um, uh-huh. uh, just, you know, uh. Bolt gun guys, they they love their bolts, so it's a way to to get them into the AR world. <laughs> yeah, I'd say.
0: So what are we gonna? I, I think we're gonna build. We're gonna do a Lone Star Outdoor Show build, right? Yep, that's that's what's going on. We're gonna go with the um, the package that with the six five and the three zero eight.
1: I think that will fit you really good, man. Uh, like I said, it will. It's our most popular product, so it only makes sense for you to have one of them. Uh, yeah
0: well i, I just uh, bought a thousand rounds of 308 ammo so ironic i don't know maybe <laughs> maybe i knew ahead of time but you yeah. had an idea yeah um and it, it's this that uh what is the ammo that i bought um maybe it's agila agila
1: yeah I'm that's, a good, that's a good round
0: it's whatever you can find these mm-hmm. days so yeah these days it's really whatever you can find that's true i will i will say because i do not care that i bought it on lucky gunner so if people are looking for ammunition that's a site that i've uh, found a lot of let's see. I found uh, 45, 10 millimeter, and 308, and bought 500 uh, 10 millimeter rounds and 1000 45 ACP and and 1000 308, and it showed up the next day. I couldn't believe it. Yes, it's expensive, but you can still get ammo. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's got definitely better than uh, the past couple of months.
0: So on a build like this for for this package, where you're gonna get both uppers 308. 65 more. What is like the MSRP? And of course it comes with Vortex glass too. So I'm yeah, thinking- it's,
1: it's the, the whole idea is that it's one package, uh, turnkey. You don't need to take anything else with you to the range other than ammo. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's inside your optics, your, all your accessories, um, uh, your two upper receivers, Pelican hard case. And, um, and they're all sitting in our custom cut, uh, custom laser cut foam. Mm-hmm. That's designed for that particular package. So the MSRP on our package will be 29.99. That's for the entry level, and then there's a few tiers up from that. Uh, would include things like drop-in trigger, nickel boron BCG, uh, full body cerakote mm. uh, for uh, frame cerakote, so upper, lower, and handguard on both uppers and, and the lower receiver. Um, yeah, we can. Those a few tiers, like I said, from from that, and uh, depends on what the customer wants. What else do you guys do? I mean, will you build
0: whatever caliber I want?
1: So AR. What are the limitations there? Honestly, the calibers available in the AR-10 obviously there are not as many as what's available in the AR-15 platform, mm-hmm. but there's quite a few actually. Uh, we do also in the AR-10 uh, 338 Federal. Okay, uh, it's a very, in my opinion, it's a very
0: uh, underestimated caliber. Uh, See, so this what, is all Greek to me because I don't know what calibers are available on the AR-10 platform. So you're educating me as we go here. Yeah,
1: yeah. The, the, the 338 Federal is definitely, like I said, uh, an underestimated caliber uh, in terms of energy and velocity. You just compare the numbers of. of Was of, it just like a 338 Lapua? No, no. I would compare it to a 30-06. Okay. So uh, it has very similar velocity and energy at 200 yards. Uh, as of a 30 out six, which is almost one and a half times longer cartridge, oh. so you're really getting a round that's has the same almost the same outside diam- uh, dimensions as a 308, but delivering the velocity and energy of a 30 out six in an AR-10 platform. Uh-huh. So that's that's in my opinion what makes it so great. Also the same deal just with the 6.5 Creedmoor, you can get just the upper. Uh, and switch it out with your 308 and your 6.5. So you got 6.5 Creedmoor, 308, 338 Federal. We also do a 243 in the AR-10. Um, nice. Yeah, and seven millimeter odd eight. Okay. We can do that in the AR-10 as well. So there are about five calibers uh-huh. uh, that you can you can get into an AR-10 platform. Uh, they all use the same bolt, so they all have the same rim. Um, so that's another plus. I'd say the 6.5 5 Creedmoor for sure is our top seller, um, in the AR-10 package that we offer, and also in the complete upper receivers
0: and or the complete rifles. Awesome. Okay, so if I didn't if I didn't want to do the package that comes with both, um, I imagine it's more affordable just to just to have say, hey, just build me a three-zero-eight. Yeah, yeah, we have those as well. We have
1: complete. Uh, AR-10 308 rifles um, starting at 18 inches in length all the way to 24. Uh-huh. Um, same with the 6.5 Creedmoor. We have complete rifles starting at 20 inches in length, 22 and 24. And
0: what can I get into one
1: of those for? Uh, so entry-level 6.5 Creedmoor will be about $14.99. Uh-huh. Uh, that gets you a 20-inch 6.5 Creedmoor stainless steel straight fluided uh, bull barrel AR-10. With the NBA 3 Luth-AR stock, uh, billet upper and lower, nickel boron BCG.
0: And everything's threaded, of course.
1: Everything's threaded for your suppressor. Uh-huh. Um, they come with a muzzle device, tanker-style muzzle device. Uh, you can t- easily take that off and uh, screw on your suppressor. Standard five eighth by 24 thread, so works on most suppressors on the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. And so where
1: can folks find you guys, Omar? Uh, we're in Grand Prairie uh just right up, right off 360 uh, i'd say 5 minutes south of the airport uh-huh. so we have a we have a storefront uh you've come before yeah, you've it's seen awesome. you've seen it
0: um okay And the website
1: tacticalskeleton.com and same thing on social media yep tactical.skeleton and ig uh, unfortunately, Facebook took down our page. Well, they're communists, <laughs> in, so they'll in, do in, that in their fight against. You got, the, you got Zuckerberg. Yeah, exactly. That's what you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't have a Facebook, but thankfully we still have our Instagram, hoping it will stay that. We got to so- find the
0: next thing, man. They're gonna keep doing this to us. We have to develop our own thing. Honestly, if we- you like the Second Amendment, if you support freedom, don't like tyranny they're going to they're going to wipe us all out. It's just how it is.
1: That's that we're literally on their free speech hairs.
0: is dead in this country and you know, yep, they don't want to hear your opinion. This and we all get shadow banned. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. My my Instagram has been at uh, 145,000 for 8 months. Before that it was growing like 500 a 1000 a month and now now it's like actually gone the other direction. Nothing's changed. I haven't changed anything it's
1: it's just not visible to people Mm -hmm. i've heard that uh with people that are shadow banned like me or you uh when you look up when 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 you would look me up you would have to type in the full name of the page to to pop up like it doesn't auto populate
0: yeah and it's one of their shadow banning strategies i believe yeah yeah well we'll just keep fighting the good fight but uh, for now you can find uh omar at tactical skeleton on instagram Man, thanks for making the trek over the studio. I certainly appreciate it. And I. Look, thanks for having me, man. I look forward to our, our next trip to uh, Africa together. Yep. Counted the days. No tick bite fever this time. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to do any crawling this time for sure. Eh, I'm going to play with fire. I guarantee you I'll be crawling around. <laughs> I just don't want to <laughs> happen again, man. <laughs> There you have it, Omar Hagazi tactical skeleton, uh, awesome stuff there, and I'll keep you all in the loop as that uh, rifle build progresses. Looking forward to getting my hands on that bad boy. And that segment was brought to you by Walker's Game Ear. If there's one thing I wish I would have taken more seriously as a younger man, it was protect my hearing. Like, it's not as good as it once was, and there's a reason for that. I shot a lot of firearms without adequate hearing protection. I don't do it anymore, uh, but a lot of that damage is irreversible, and I'm not letting my kids make the same mistake. They've all got their own pair of Walker's earmuffs. Um, You should get some for yourself, for your family. You can find them at walkersgameear.com. Unfortunately, man, just looking at the clock, we got to go, got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, Will Brantley of Field & Stream, Omar Higazi of Tactical Skeleton. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor show. Until next time, Texas I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week me. in the outdoors. Ain't yeah, nobody me like she can. me feel like a hell of a man. <laughs> Texas
1: woman.